Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. You can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside, repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Rotten Tomatoes is Wrong. Whether you're watching us, you're listening to us, whether you're human or gargoyle or half dog, half person, half bee, half human, half deer, half person, we appreciate your patronage and your support. And today, boy, Jacqueline Coley, do we have a movie? Do we have a guest? The first time in studio, Miss Claire Lim is joining us. Podcaster, presenter, host, comedian, in the wings, all around nerd. That's great. With a great Curious George <laughs> mug. Yeah. Yes. So I just felt like that was just perfect to your personality. I married because Claire wanted some water. And I was like, I'm going to go to our fancy kitchen here. Jacqueline and I went on a mission. Jacqueline got her jasmine tea. I did. Which she claims she can drink by the bucket full. I can. I can, I can chug just black iced tea. Like I all day do- long. I can go to, I can just, it, like if I'm at a restaurant and I order black iced tea, they'll just keep coming by and refilling it and I will just keep sucking them down. I do oh. like that. It's just any other type of hot tea. Like, I can't do Earl Grey straight. Like, I need cream. I need cream in it. It needs oh, I to quite be. like a straight Earl Grey. You do. Yeah, I do. It's very fragrant, though. I'm not saying that it isn't. Yeah. It's just hard for me. I like That's a fair. good mm-hmm. Earl Grey with some cream, and it feels like a soup. Oh, no. you know what I mean? Like it's it's like yeah, yeah. it feels like it's got hardness. I'm out. To no, it. I don't like kids who, uh, who kids used to bring soup to school and they, they would like drink it out of the thermos because like they forgot it. You can't drink soup. Soup is meant yeah, to be. That was me, slurped. Mark. That was that was you me. drink your soup. I had Absolutely. I had a I had a Thundercats thermos. <laughs> I used to use these bowls. for soup more than tea when I was younger. Yes. That's fine. Yeah. That's yes. I, I I can call that a soup. But bowl. I'm like, but I would just sip it. If I wasn't here this morning, I'd be eating dry cereal out of a bowl just (laughs) like that. We have a movie to talk about today, folks, because this has been a movie that really, it's been on my mind since it was released in 2015, and it's never really left. Like, I forgot about it, and I can put it to different corners, way in the back recesses of my brain, but it's always lurking there, and most of it is due to the voice that Eddie Redmayne is doing in this film. It's Jupiter Ascending, directed Mm. by the Wachowskis. Yes, that Wachowski film. We're not talking about The Matrices, not talking about Bound, their very first film from 1996, which is 86% certified fresh, doubling as the highest Wachowski-directed film on the tomato meter. Sorry, Keanu. Sorry, Lawrence. Sorry, Hugo. The Matrix is 83% certified fresh. Bound is number one at 86%. Jupiter Ascending will not be threatening that title anytime soon. It is 28% rotten on the tomato meter, 38% with the audience score, so really didn't hit with critics. 
or audiences when it was released way back nine years ago. Jacqueline, Jupiter Ascending, do you want to try to give us a synopsis of what this film is? (laughs) Claire was all too happy to just talk through the ball. I have my notes, but I was like, hey... He's he's turned his light towards Jacqueline, so I'm I'm just gonna stare you know at what? you to to you. It's one of the things we love doing <laughs> okay. to each other is making each other do the synopsis. It, it's like this sneaky little. We get this Grinch look on our face. I mean, it could be this. It could be giving it to the guests, but it's okay because this is one I can do. I can right. do this one with my eyes. Closed. You got. We're gonna tell the story of Miss <laughs> Ju- Jupiter Jones, ladies and gentlemen. She is a Russian illegal immigrant who is a house cleaner. Her family, you know, embarked on a trip to America after her father was killed for what, kids? Looking at the stars. Anyway, so we find her, (laughs) and she is trying to sell her ovary eggs so that she can get a telescope. And in doing so, she discovers something about herself when she meets a half-man, half-dog called Kane Wise. Ladies and gentlemen, we did not think too hard (laughs) about these names. He's played by Channing Tatum. He comes to rescue her, tells her that she is a member of the ancient Nebraska's family, which is basically like the evil Nepo babies of space. <laughs> and it is <laughs> with Douglas Booth, Eddie Redmayne, and um, what's her name? I forget her name, but she's also in Sense8. Uh, so the it. sister? Yes, the sister. Whatever her name is. One of is. my favorite names, Tuppence. Tuppence, thank you. Tuppence. She's also in Downton Abbey. Tuppence, mm-hmm. those three, they're like the evil Nepo babies. They control the Abraxas <laughs> empire. And their whole purpose is to liquefy planets to create this thing that makes them all young. Anyway, she's coming back. She was willed stuff in her, like, will to herself. So basically, she sent herself a will. And when she decides to come back, she says, you know what? I'm going to marry my son, who is also hundreds of years older than me and also um, my son. But I'm still going to marry him so that I can take my title. She tries to take her title. People try to kill her, kidnap her family. All of this because Eddie Redmayne, wants to, like, have a space opera where he is just like, I will be the king. He also comes to admit that he was the one that killed his mother. <gasps> Hijinks ensue. <sighs> Spoiler alert. I know. Hijinks ensue. <laughs> It's a 10-year-old movie if you haven't seen it. Come on. In this case, a spoiler (laughs) might be doing you a favor. Exactly. (laughs) Because that started out as a very clean synopsis. And it sort of became like Jacqueline woke up and is telling me about her dream. And I'm like, all right, does this dream have an ending at some point? Yes, it does have an ending. And the whole point of it being is that she (laughs) takes her role as the queen of the universe and and does all of that. And there's dinosaurs. And there's dinosaurs. The end. Dot, dot, dot. And there's dinosaurs. I mean, I, like, legitimately, that's what happened. Yeah, I mean, that's that, that's the plot of Jupiter Ascending, folks. So <laughs> this was a movie that was in development for a while. The Wachowskis were coming off of Cloud Atlas. And so you look at the mixed reception that a movie like Cloud Atlas had received, and it's like, okay, but this is going to be their comeback pitch. This is going to be their Star Wars. This is going to be launching a new franchise like what we got with the beauty that was The Matrix. And it just didn't play out that way. There were some production issues. There were some test screening issues. Yep. And we're going to talk about all that stuff. Once we get into movie talk for right now, um, we're going to ask the question to our viewers, to our listeners, but also to our esteemed guest, Claire Lim, gets uh, to tee off here. Rotten Tomatoes, tomato meter. 28% is where Jupiter Ascending is currently resting. Is that right? Is that wrong? Is that good enough? Is it too <sighs> generous? When I was asked to come on this podcast, I, I immediately was was like, yes. Um, you get to have you in this, studio this, for the first time. Yes, yeah. in the studio for the first time. I was like, this movie sucked. It was so <laughs> bad. But I thought about it a little bit more, which we'll talk about later in the podcast. And I'm going to say, yes, 28% is justified. But 
there are positives to this movie. I'm not going to trash it completely, okay. but I am going to go with the score for now and say yes. You're going to go with, with 28%. Yes. Because, Jacqueline, I'm going to lean more towards the audience. I'm going to say this is a very rotten movie. I'm going to say that there are some redeeming qualities about it. It looks gorgeous, as you would expect any Wachowski flick to do. Um, I think some of the performances are really well done. I think some other ones are a little left in the oven too long. But <laughs> I'll say 38% just because like it, the Wachowskis take such big swings. But it, it, when, when you're a filmmaker of that caliber, a filmmaker team of that caliber, you take a swing even when you miss. It's like, wow. It's like pretty Mighty either. Casey at the bat. It's like, man, it was still, it, we got still to see pretty. Mighty Casey. So I'm going to say Rotten Tomatoes is wrong, but they're right about it being very, very rotten. Okay, this is another one of these cop-out episodes because I know I just, I feel too much for this movie. Like, <laughs> I enjoy it. That's why I wanted you all to know exactly what happens in it because, look, it deserves a 28. There's nothing in my brain having seen movies like Oppenheimer and Poor Things. Barbie. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I saw movies like this. How can I say that this movie is anything but 28? Because it's awful. That's what your brain says, but to quote me, Skywalker, what does your heart tell you? But my heart tells me, it should be certified fresh. <laughs> like, I love this movie this so This is the juice we need much. on the show. I just, I love it. I get, I, I, the world that they build, just let me lay in it. I love it so much. There are moments in this movie I just play on repeat because I'm like, uh, style is there. Is it plot? Is it cinematic? <laughs> no, but I love it. Oh, yeah, so I, I would say Rotten Tomatoes is so wrong. And I don't want to be right. But I know, I know it's, I don't want people to feel like I know this is a good movie. I know it's not. But where it takes us, that is what we go to the movies for. It's what we go to the <laughs> movies for in the summertime, maybe around Christmas. This movie came out February 6th, uh, 2015, which especially back in the, back in those times was like, yeah, we don't know where else to put this movie, mm -hmm. so we're just going to kind of drop it. Like, early early movie season releases, you like January, early February, I'm expecting to get some sort of fun action or like with Liam Neeson or we just got The Beekeeper with Jason Statham. So I'm like, okay, that's the kind of movie I expect here. I don't expect this, like, could-be-summer-popcorn spectacle kind of galactic blockbuster to be dropped in February. But again, there were issues that led to that. So before we get into all the movie talk, before Jacqueline gets to defend why this movie should be certified fresh <laughs> in her heart, not her brain, but her heart, we are going to go to our buddy Tim Ryan. Tim Ryan had a task this week, folks, because he's our expert review curation manager here at Rotten Tomatoes, and he had the duty of sorting through all of the, I mean, we'll say, duty-filled reviews of Jupiter Ascending. There were some fresh ones he found, I believe, I'm told. So let's turn it over to Tim Ryan with Two Minutes with Tim. Two Minutes with Tim. There's a thin line between a film that's visionary and one that's pure folly. So many films, even great films, follow a predictable playbook. So we should be grateful for movies like the Wachowskis' Jupiter Ascending, which, if nothing else, is a work that's both grand and ambitious. But lofty ambitions do not necessarily a masterpiece make, and upon its release, critics largely found Jupiter Ascending to be visually stunning, but with far too much exposition and world-building for such a thin plot. Jupiter Ascending is rotten to 28% on the tomato meter with 277 reviews, and it has a 38% audience score. So what did the critics have to say? In a rotten review, Kim Newman of Empire Magazine wrote, This is wonderfully imaginative when it comes to costume, art direction, special effects, spaceships, and incidental alien creatures, but stuck with old hat character types and a resolutely unspecial storyline. 
However, in a fresh review, John Semley of McLean's magazine wrote, it feels vitally fresh and exciting. An overload of ideas, energy, ambition, and dopey sincerity is always better than a paucity of the same. The Rotten Tomatoes critics' consensus reads, Pleasing to the eye but narratively befuddled, Jupiter Ascending delivers another visually thrilling misfire from the Wachowskis. So that's Jupiter Ascending. Let's kick it back to Jacqueline and Mark, two people who have some idea of the scientific miracles that human beings are capable of. Back to you, folks. <laughs> <laughs> that is very high praise coming from you, Mr. Ryan. Thank you, Tim. Um, yeah, look, there were some... Like, I was looking at some of the reviews because producer Brian does a great job of, like, kind of cobbling a bunch of notes together for us and, like, giving us some reviews. The critics' consensus is what Tim just gave us, but there's also some reviews that are technically fresh. Here's a fresh review from Jupiter Ascending, is that this movie often plays like a super expensive 21st century version of one of those Star Wars knockoffs made around 1980 by people who weren't George Lucas. That's a fresh review, guys. That's as good as the critics could possibly do with this movie. And was that just? Was that unjust? We're going to talk about all that stuff right now. It's time for Movie Talk. All right, before I ask you guys where you were way back in 2015, when we were all so young, Claire was not living in the United States then. No, Welcome. I wasn't American. I'm now American. You're, you're American. I'm American. Now. USA, USA. <laughs> I'm American now. <laughs> Give her some apple pie and some hot dogs, oh some sparklers. God. She's good to go. Um... <laughs> Were we fans of the Wachowskis leading up to this? I mean, I think universally The Matrix is just heralded as like this all-time great action, sci-fi, revolutionary kind of movie. Before they did that, Bound was really well-received, too. I mean, that's their highest rated on the tomato meter. I've seen Bound in a long time, but I remember it being really good when I saw it. And The Matrix, we know what The Matrix is. You can have your feelings about the sequels, but the the I, I guess they passed the test as far as like, oh, these are filmmakers to always keep your eye on when they release a new project. Is that how we feel about the Wachowskis, Claire? Um, looking at their body of work, really, I can't say I am a, a huge fan. Of course, I loved the first Matrix film. I saw it in the cinema when it came out. I was 15 or 16 years old, um, and I absolutely loved it. It was so visually sumptuous. And obviously, Rage Against the Machine at the end, I was like, well, you know, <laughs> one, of my, one of my favorite bands at the time. I'm such a metalhead, so I was really into that. You know, since then, you know, I really appreciate their style, their influences. Clearly, they love comics. They love anime, manga, that kind of thing. And you can see that seeping through all of their films. But it's it's just not for me. They're, the films are very watchable, but I can't say I am a huge fan. Like, I'm a huge fan of, um, you know, Fincher or Lynch or anything like that. So I appreciate them. And I love The Matrix, and I do love watching their films, but I can't say I'm a fan of their films. Jacqueline, do we subscribe to that? Because it almost seems to me like they've taken a similar path to where M. Night Shyamalan was, where you just have mm. this body of work to open up your career on the big stage, where it's so compelling and it's so beloved universally, it's almost impossible to follow that act. And I, I don't think, and I think Shyamalan has rebounded nicely for the most part, but it's like where it used to be like, you can't miss this movie. Mm. Now it's like, ah, okay, they got a new movie coming out. Let's see what yeah, the yeah. critics and the tomato meter has to say first. I'd say it's about that. It's weird because I loved their show since eight, um, which was on Netflix. It was their three seasons of that one that they did. Yeah. I felt that was them really reaching their stride. I actually enjoyed the last Matrix that everybody said was a cash grab. Like I felt that one was good, but there's just certain movies in their film. I'm like, what? What? What are you doing? 
Cloud Atlas <laughs> is one of them for me. This is not, though. This is like the movie where I'm like, so I would say they're kind of home run derby. Like, they're like, they're like, I know the highs are going to be good, but the lows are going to be low. And I'm kind of OK with flipping the coin. Yeah. So where I was when I saw this movie, when I saw Jupiter Ascending, like I was deep in the, the heyday of Schmoes No. So me and Christian went to I can still when I see this movie, when I think about this movie. I still can taste the Grove popcorn in my mouth. Like, I love that popcorn so much and I miss it. That's where I was in my life watching this movie. And so I was pretty pumped for it just because I had heard about it. I saw the trailers. The trailers, you can make a great trailer based on anything the Wachowskis shoot, right? But then you also have this hesitancy where it was supposed to come out the summer before. Mm. And then it got delayed for VFX shots, but also because there were some test screenings that were reportedly horrible. So then it comes out the following year in this dumping ground season, and it just didn't click for me at all. So, like, watching this movie, did y'all see it in theaters? Jacqueline, were you already covering the movie world? Were you still back in Austin at this time? I was still back in Austin. I think I had already started covering entertainment, but I was still in my like, hey, like video game era. I was still going to like PAX and like doing a lot of video game reporting. Yeah, this is cool. This was very early. Um, But I went on this movie on a date. Oh, a I went on this movie, movie on a date. It's a long movie for a date. Yeah, because it was when I was still in school. <laughs> yeah. So lots to talk about afterwards. Yeah. You know, it was I was still in school. So I had this like post undergrad program that I did. And this was like around that time. And so I was just looking for any excuse not to be studying. And so we went to the movies a lot in this relationship. And I think we saw this on a date. Uh, can I ask a question without getting too personal? Was it early in the relationship? Was it late? Early. Was it-, it was well. Maybe like midway through. It's, okay. I didn't know it was midway through at the time. I think we. I thought we were at the like. <laughs> Nobody ever knows it's midway sixth through. Sixth or seventh, eighth mark. <laughs> can, and, I, can I ask another first question? Did, did it end shortly after? It ended the movie? by the end of that year. Did it end that night? The end of that year. Okay. End by the end year. of that yeah. year, yeah. Okay. By like by like September, October of that year. That but if you've been on like a few dates and it's like, okay, yeah. now we can go like actually try to see a movie together and yeah. it's not going to like ruin the relationship if one of us likes it and one of us doesn't. I think both of us liked it. Okay. Well, but we should have that person on the podcast no, too. because we are not having that <laughs> person uh, and, on the podcast. Claire, did you take a date to see Jupiter Ascending as well? No, I didn't. I actually saw Jupiter Ascending on the way back from LA to London on a plane. Oh, wow. So it's not really the best place to see... That kind of film on a tiny little screen on the back of a Christopher back Nolan's then, head yeah. is exploding right now. Oh, this is before those things got big. They were probably like that. Big. They were like yeah. really, really. It was a really tiny screen, and I tend to save all of the crap films that I don't want to see in the cinema for air, like sort of plane rides. So I saw like all the like Avatar two. I saw Guardians of the Galaxy three. I knew I wouldn't enjoy the latest. I watch all of those on the little screen. You like to go to outer space <laughs> when you're on a plane. Seriously. Like 30,000 feet above the earth is not enough not for enough. Claire. She needs to get to the intergalactic travel. I need to really feel like completely tired and like I haven't e- eaten properly and, you know, like I'm like completely exhausted. But I, I got through. So the first time I watched it, I got through to the point where we meet Eddie Redmayne's character and he talks like this. And I was like, no, I'm, I'm out. And I, t- That's I turned. That's a great impression. Thank, yeah. you. thank you. Thank you. You very almost have too much energy, though. Thank. Oh yeah. Uh, what about this? It has to feel quite tired. He served. <laughs> he served. And I just want y'all to know, Eddie Redmayne ate. Y'all don't know that he ate, but he ate. Because <laughs> he was giving drag. That was drag. Mm-hmm. Best that and was drag. worst mm-hmm. performance. But I, 
I got to about that point, I switched it off and then I had to watch it later on a actual normal TV. You know, I, kind of, I gave it a go when it was on TV again. So I never really saw it in the cinema. I kind of wish I did because I think that would have changed my opinion because seeing The Matrix for the first time in the cinema, you know, that's what the Wachowskis are good at. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, they're, they're good at taking us through a completely bonkers aesthetic visual journey, yeah. you know, so. And they're great at orchestrating action sequences too, which is why I, I think this movie leaves me flat in the places I didn't expect it. Like I can handle a story that I'm not really clicking with or even a villain th- that I just think is, is sort of a annoying presence throughout mm-hmm. the movie he's as opposed Gargamel. to like this. But <laughs> <laughs> just petting his, petting his cat. I mean, he's literally like, you know, the Smurfs are <laughs> elsewhere. I'm in my castle and I'm just bitching about how much I want to kill them, sending out my henchmen. He's Gargamel. He is definitely Gargamel, <laughs> living wherever Gargamel lived and just sending a bunch of folks to Smurf Village, which in this case is all of Earth. Yeah. So I, I love the premise of this movie because you, you have, I, I, you know, obviously I'm drawn to something where it's an underdog story. But you also have this person who has no idea what their real destiny is, and then they discover it, and now they have to fight for it. That's, you got me. You hooked me. And the fact that she's sort of not j- just like Princess Leia, but also like Dorothy from Wizard of Oz, complete with their own protector dog in Channing Tatum. It's like, I get what you're going for. The thing that I could not stop laughing at this movie, though, is like, I'm not saying that every that you can never do a half human, half dog character in a movie again. (laughs) It's so hard to not think of John Candy from Spaceballs. Like, he's basically Barf. He's an in-shape Barf. He's Barf with a gym membership in this movie because he literally is a half-human, half-canine, so he's, like, sniffing stuff, and it's just like, (laughs) like, I I can't imagine him not hanging out with Lone Star. Hi there. It's Julia Louis-Dreyfus. You may know me from my podcast called Wiser Than Me, where I talk to older women and get their wisdom from the front lines of life. I was amazed by how many people told me our show made them look forward to getting older, which is why I'm here to talk about season two of the show. Sally Field, Billie Jean King, Beverly Johnson, Ina Garten, Bonnie Ray, just to name a few. All hail old women. Wiser Than Me season two is out now from Lemonada Media. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center. Thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. So if you guys were spliced with an animal, I had this this very important question for the podcast. (laughs) I thought about it all the way in the car journey here. Oh, We'll start with you, Mark. What, what would you be spliced with? I would love to think I'm like a shark or a tiger or something. I'm a sloth. I'm, <laughs> I'm half human, and then just the rest is just trying to get me out of bed in the morning. So I'm a little like Molly the Wonder Dog is now, okay. and now that she's later in life where she's 16 and a half years old. And so she still has energy, but then she needs to sleep it off for 12 hours. In Love order that. to get parked up again. So that's kind of where I am. I might be a half human, half dog, but like a, a senior citizen dog. Senior Diane. citizen dog slash sloth, Jacqueline. <laughs> um, <laughs> this is going to be a disappointment, but it's very accurate because I, I I would be a red panda. 
First of all, they're sassy. <laughs> their press is better than their reality. This mm-hmm. is a person, it's like you look at it from afar and you're like, oh my God, I want one of those. And then you realize they're terrible. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> and they're like very energetic, but also like want to be left alone. Like they don't want to be around people that they don't like. And they'll like scratch people's faces off. They're like a fox. Oh, I love so that. So basically a fox that's really cute. Right. I mean, I, I would have said wolf up until this past weekend. I actually went to a wolf conservation this past weekend. So I was learning about wolves and I got to like see them and like hang oh, out wow. with them. And wolves, there's no such thing as an alpha wolf, right? No. So every guy referring yourself as an alpha wolf, that ain't a real thing. It's made and up. also the term lone wolf, which I always called myself, like, I'm a comic, I'm a lone wolf. I don't like, you know, yeah. the, a lone wolf is a wolf that is scared and that is tired and is hungry and is sad. And so I'm like, okay, maybe I'm just a house cat. Maybe I'm just a cat that likes to just be by myself for the most part. So I might be half cat, half sloth, and less dog. Claire Lip, it was your question. Oh, definitely an old cat. You're an old cat. I am just my cat because I I do genuinely like to be left alone. Uh, (laughs) I don't don't really, uh, present company excluded, don't really like people very much. Um, I like to, I just like to get sort of rubbed and scratched and Mm -hmm. fed. Um, and I just like to be comfy. Yeah. You know. And I've then got, to be left yeah. alone. And then, yeah, just like right. feed me and like, you know, pay attention to me. Then when I tell you to go away, go away. <laughs> that's that's basically me in a nutshell. So I am a cat for sure. Right. I now, think we'd all be pretty useless in this Jupiter ascending world. We would be though. terrible. Yeah, we'd we'd be terrible. probably get off by henchmen early on. I mean, we they, they yeah. have to go to all three of our places because we're not smart. hanging out You're together. Yeah. I, I think, ain't outrunning anybody. I mean, Kane in this movie is just Channing yeah. Tatum's character. And this is like a newborn. Mm-hmm. This is like a puppy who's just like excited to be out yeah. and like rollerblading around. I don't know if I love the rollerblades or not because it was it, like it looked kind of ridiculous that he's yes. just like doing this like speed skater motion. But it's kind of cool, too. It's kind of cool. I just they definitely worked very hard to get him out of his shirts. Like this is either <laughs> this is either post magic Mike. It's it, they worked very hard to keep that man shirtless. It's so hard. in that era. And it's also in the era where Eddie Redmayne is winning Oscar. Yeah. And do we feel like this is this performance is a total misfire, Claire, or do we feel like he had a lock on something and it just didn't really click with the rest of the movie? Or do you just outright love what he did? Eddie's performance. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I mean, when you it's quite jarring when you first hear the voice and you see him, and you're like, oh, but I, I heard that he said I made a bold choice. You know, and he as, went for it. He went for it. And I actually quite appreciate that as an actor and as a villain. He's really hammed up. I think in that world of Jupiter Ascending, that hammy, cheesy, villainesque performance really works. So you can say what you like about Eddie Redmayne's performance, but it works in this setting. Yeah, I mean, Jackman, I completely you, agree. Yeah, no sign. You try to think about villains, and like, I don't always want a super imposing. I don't always want Bane. You know, yeah. I don't always want like Goro from Mortal Kombat. Like sometimes yeah. it is nice to be understated, and it's more about the cerebral and like like what you're plotting yeah. versus, I mean, you know, there's a reason why most of the dictators through history, tiny hands like I have, they're short in stature and it's like they just want more power and so it's like this is exactly who this dude is. Absolutely. And like, let's look at who this character is and like maybe where an actor like Eddie Redmayne comes to this. This is a... Uh, a dude that is killing his mother in a kind of underhanded way. He was the favored son. So he was the one. I am the ma- eldest boy. By, exactly. <laughs> Very Kendall Roy who completes, you know, patricide. <laughs> um, and then it's also this idea that he is now living as the sort of like king person. And he's trying to pretend that. So there's a gravitas that he is portraying in the first part of the movie that actually starts to unravel as we get towards the end. And you'll actually notice that the voice becomes less um 
sinister as things start to unravel for him. By the time that she's like confronting him, he's like a scared boy crying almost. And so I actually, again, there's more layers to this. It is not, I'm not saying that they hit every note, but they or, they are trying to conduct that orchestra. Let me tell you. You know, we. I think my favorite scenes in the movie though are with Jupiter or with Mila Kunis. I, I think she really brought her A-game here where mm-hmm. you're you're left with kind of, not second banana, but like you have all these, you know, effects. You have all these like outer space things going on. And when we meet her in her adult form, she's just kind of earthbound and cleaning toilets and stuff. And it's like, what is going to become of this person? Her and until it gets a little creepy, her and Kane's interactions, I think, are like one of the bright spots of this movie, which is sort of disappointing because I wanted to love all the action sequences. There's a there's an action sequence yeah. in the middle of this movie that is eight minutes and reportedly, according to producer Brian's notes, took six months to film what like like Mila and Channing had to shoot something from this scene just about every day for the better part of half a year to get this thing. And when you watch it play out, you're expecting this awesome Mission Impossible, you know, uh, <laughs> bullet chase sequence. And it just kind of the action here, unlike the action in The Matrix, feels frenetic, but boring at the same time. Yeah. And I don't I can't put a pin in why, Claire, but that's how I felt watching. I don't necessarily think that action sequences have to be long drawn out. And I think that's, I think with this, there's so many complex things happening in this movie, so long drawn out, to the point that I've started to think with certain Marvel movies as well, times in the cinema where I've sat there thinking, yeah, when's this part over though? Like, because it's so samey. Um, I really appreciate the way that the Wachowskis have tried to direct and, and choreograph those action sequences to make them dramatic, but... There's something to be said for things that are too long. Like our attention spans as as humans can kind of like follow things for that long, especially if there's a wedding thing and then Kane's going to crash the wedding and there's a, the shot of the ring <laughs> mm. and then the shot of Kane. Your brain's almost not... I know that they don't want to do things in a linear way all the time, which I completely appreciate because that's art. It's the way that they uh, create their art. Uh, but for the wider audience, it just doesn't in sequence feel right. And I think it's sometimes disjointed and too long. That's- to, yeah, to me, the action sequences, Jacqueline, felt like uh, when I was a kid, like everybody was making like friendship bracelets. <laughs> and so you have like three different strands <laughs> of string and like you tie them all mm. together. And some people were really good. I was terrible. And so to Claire's point, it would start out looking okay. Like, I think we really got a friendship bracelet here. And then it would just fray and it just did not look good. And I feel like the action sequences, maybe they're too long. Maybe there's too much stuff going on, but it really is the mark of a great director or team is being able to weave those different strands in and make the entire friendship bracelet, which is what we see with some great action movies, including stuff that the Wachowskis have done. I just didn't feel it in this one. So, uh, Brian, uh, please check this for me. I th- what year did John Wick come out? Oh, 2016, I want to say. 2016. Is my bet. 14. Oh, I was wow. right. 14, That's what I yeah. figured. This is the first movie We've that We've been they, hanging with that dude for 10 years? Yeah. Wow. We, this is the first movie that they had to do their action without the principal stunt choreographers and second unit guys in Chad and David. Mm. Those guys were ah. very instrumental in how the, 
Wachowski shot action. This was the first one where they were basically using those guys, sometimes subordinates, even though most of those guys went and worked on John Wick. And so they were already part of those guys. Like, so they're really getting like the third guy that worked with them on the last Matrix to now be the person that's going to help them orchestrate these grand sort of action sequences. And I think that's why that's my like, I don't know this for sure, but that is what I posit is like, because all those guys went and worked on John Wick. Like that was their whole thing. And they shot a lot of second unit stuff for a lot of those Matrix things, like those action sequences, they were just letting those guys do what they wanted because they were so instrumental in the look of the violence. And, and so Deadpool's heating up around this time too. Yep. So it's almost like, like you know, the Super Bowl just happened last week. So it's almost like the coach wins the Super yep. Bowl a couple of times, but then all of their staff, their offensive yep. defensive coordinators go somewhere else. Yep. And it's like, okay, that's some of the genius that left. Yep. That's a very interesting point. Yes. Um, Claire, I mean, w- when we look at this movie as a whole, do you have a scene, a sequence that stands out and you say, oh, okay, when I'm looking at this entire thing, that's what I remember. And that's why I think this movie is defensible. Okay, maybe not defensible, but I mentioned earlier the wedding sequence because I just didn't want to marry that guy. And I was like, come on, you've just walked into this wedding. Crash it, Kane, crash it. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I actually did quite like this sort of juxtaposition. You know, there's tension on both sides. There's tension in space right outside the the wedding venue there's tension inside I love the scene where she's walking out as well um, and she can see the whole of the venue and all of the the people the little beings it just looks really epic inside and outside and then Kane finally comes in with his moon boots or whatever they're called and, (laughs) and crashes the whole thing and rescues her now I don't think it's defensible but I like that scene because it's just like I just wanted to get that whole bit over and done with. I don't think she, it kind of made her weak. Yeah. Having to like marry that guy. She just walks into things. I don't think she's a very strong protagonist. Yeah. Um, Well, she's meant to be Dorothy or Alice. Yeah. And I know she's meant to use empathy and kindness instead of, you know, kicking, punching, whatever. But she almost kind of goes, oh yeah, uh aha, and listens a lot and just walks into things. So yeah, I quite like that. I think, Again, I think it was too long. A lot of the things are too long. And that makes a lot of sense about what you said. The action sequences on a whole, like for the whole of the film, just aren't tight. Mm-hmm. And they don't seem to have a beginning, middle and end. Yes, there's an end point for this, but it, you're like, where is it? Yeah. So yeah, yes and no, Mark. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> yes and no, which is this whole film for me. Yes and no. Yes and, and no. And I don't know if it's a question of like whether or not the Wachowskis were a Jerry Jones type, you know, um, <laughs> Uh, what's his name? Uh, Jimmy Johnson situation mm-hmm. where they thought, hey, I can do it without him. I'm sure they knew the absence of what Chad and David yeah. were going to bring to these things. But it's also a case where I think maybe their arrogance and knowing like, hey, we made the Matrix. Maybe we can get away with this instead of maybe bringing in another marquee action uh, stunt coordinator. Or like, you know, bringing a top guy. Again, I'm making this up on, uh, on speculation because I'm not sure. But the thing I know about the Wachowskis, they do work with a lot of the same people again. Like, when they did this mm-hmm. last movie, The Matrix, they brought back some of the camera operators that worked on The Matrix 1. Like, they really do, like, feel like, hey, if you're part of the family, stay a part of the family. So I would... I would contend that they gave somebody an opportunity to level up way before I would, I would assume that they brought in somebody who was against their vision. Because these are also guys that, like, they don't necessarily communicate their ideas that well. This is one of the reasons why they couldn't get Will Smith. Right, for The Matrix. For The Matrix. That, that was the first choice to play Neo yeah, before and, Keanu. And they've had that in multiple occasions where people are getting them to explain like further iterations and they maybe don't do a good job of explaining that. Same thing happened with Sense8 when Netflix was thinking of canceling it. They were like, where is this going? And they were like, <laughs> well, it's about the, you know, like, and I get that's what creatives are like because they live in, if you can world build like this, 
of course you're going to be a little bit in the clouds. Um, I also want to say I also like the wedding sequence too. You say Mila Kunis is great in this. I would say she's kind of great in this because mm-hmm. you can see where the pickups happen. And I hate to say this because I think she may have been pregnant with her first kid at this time. But there's Mila Kunis in principal photography and there's Mila Kunis in pickup. And I believe the second one is Mila Kunis and child. Because there is a, and not a huge difference. I'm not trying to body shame her. I just think that like you can tell that these were filmed separately. You can tell one is on a green screen and her whole acting vibe is completely different than it is when she's filming earlier scenes. Like also... Um, I love the B scene with Sean Bean. Oh, yeah, B. I think that yep. is... Sean Bean should be talked about yes, as well. Yes, also yeah. a great actor performance. He's, like, yes. when he comes out with that gun and you see them eyes, I'm like, give me up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> give I me love Sean Bean. Sean Bean's my favorite. I love Sean Bean. He, like, I, you know, until Sean Bean hits the screen, there's a lot about the movie I thought, oh, God, the acting is so plastic. It's so yeah. terrible. Mila Kunis could have, you know, brought a bit more depth. She just seems a bit cardboard. Channing Tatum's a half man, half dog, so he's just doing the best he can. Really. Yeah, he, he could. He uh, had he had like trouble speaking yeah. because of the the mouthpiece that he was yeah. wearing to make him look like more canine. Really inhibited his ability to speak, and so it was like really painful. For I mean, him. is so just, that like, bit, not a fun? Is shoot. that bit even worth it? Because Sean Bean shows up and he looks like f-ing Sean Bean. Sorry, I said it again. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he looks like Sean Bean, though. He looks exactly the same. Yeah, he, and, and he's great as a bee yeah. or as a human. But Sean, he, Sean Bean's performance, because Sean Bean is such a good actor, he is so good. Yeah. He elevates any scene he's in, elevates. And I thought about this with Cloud Atlas. There are patchy performances, but Susan Sarandon yeah. is mm. just a great actor. So I just think there's actors that just can kind of cope with that and get in there and, and do their thing. Like, we talked about Eddie Redmayne. He really committed to the villainous yes. role. Fair it is. And, and I don't say Gargamel in a bad thing because he is... Look at what the character does. The character is separate from all of the action of the film. So he knows that he's going to be in a room talking to a henchman for the majority of the movie. You got to do something to keep yourself from being bored. Imagine if he played that role straight. It would be so boring. Well, it's a little like like when we reviewed Masters of the Universe, which I mm. was a huge He-Man fan growing up, but I'd never seen the 1987 film with <gasps> Dolph Lundgren and Frank Langella yeah. as Skeletor. Skeletor is doing the same thing. Skeletor is just yeah. chilling and just sending minions yes. to go take care of this issue on Earth. Yes. But, but the, the difference being when we get to hang out with Skeletor in Eternia, it's like Skeletor is just having fun, hamming it up, big muscles, even though he's a skeleton, which doesn't yeah. really jive. But it's like just just like really owning the space and like being that imposing villain, whereas it's just a different gear for a villain to just kind of be sitting back and just playing the long game and and not being overtly physical or anything. Just like it, it's all chess moves up here. You want to know the best version of this I've seen in recent memory? Bear with me, kids. Uh, the guy that does the voice work for Dracula in Castlevania, that is a very similar role where he is just off to the side in his castle being like, you killed my wife. <laughs> I'm going to, like, come kill you. But he actually does it in the, like, taking it under, where it's like this is, like, controlled rage that's going to pop out at some yes. random moment. Um, also, I will say the Sheriff of Nottingham in... Robin Hood. That's another one Alan of those roles. Yeah, Ron, Alan Rickman in that one. But yeah. that's a hard role. Like, I don't think people appreciate it. There's nobody... He's talking to tennis balls. He gave that performance to, like, those, like, fake dinosaur henchmen that he had. That's tennis balls. That's I mean, not people. That might be the test between a very good actor and a yes. great actor is what, what we saw with the Star Wars prequels as well, where it's, you know, it, not every performance is the same in those because you do have veterans 
who are just so used to any situation you throw them in, mm-hmm. like like a Samuel L. Jackson or, or Christopher Lee or somebody like that, who's like, dude, I've I've done this for decades. Yeah. Okay, I I can act with tennis balls in front of a green screen. And so with Jupiter Ascending, like the villain performance did, it didn't leave me cold. It just left me annoyed after a while mm. um, because I just could not, I, I could not deal with the voice anymore. And that's probably <laughs> shortcoming on me as an audience member as much as it is on Eddie Redmayne making that very bold choice. But there are some redeeming qualities to Jupiter Ascending. I'll say my favorite part of the movie is the stunning set pieces, the, the design, I guess I should say, because a lot of it is visual effects. So Dan Glass is a guy, he, and he had also worked with the Wachowskis on the matrices and stuff like that. He wanted to design the outer space, like I guess the different planets, not as outer space stuff, but he wanted to base it on different cities mm. that you would have on Earth, primarily European cities. And when you see the look of all these different planets, it's really well done. And each planet does have its own distinct feel, which isn't always the case. When they you're doing science fiction or fantasy, over, yeah. it just kind of feels like all just like one big glob. Like th- there really is a distinct feel to each one of these different sets that we're on. So that's my best redeeming value of Jupiter Ascending. What would be yours, Claire? Uh, kind of you know, piggybacking off the back of what you've just said there. Um, I watched it with a friend a couple of days ago again to remind myself to jog my memory and and he loved the movie. He is like the biggest fan. He kept going, don't you love this movie? And I was like, you're spoiling it for me by saying that every 10 minutes. <laughs> Please. He's like, look at this. But well, he pointed something out, which which I thought was great. And, I, and it really made, it, made me really appreciate it. And it's the fact that even the extras in the background look completely, the, the detail and what they're wearing, how they look, every detail is thought of. Mm-hmm. You are really fully immersed in that world. And that's what the Wachowskis do best. The um, the, the immersion is yeah. incredible. So it doesn't matter how good or bad you think this movie is. You feel like you're in that world for the two, two and a half, almost three hours. So that's what I think the redeeming qualities are. And also the themes, you know, they are very well read. The Wachowskis really, really love literature. You know, they love sci-fi. They're so passionate about storytelling. And that's why they like the serialized way of telling stories. They love that kind of detail and got to appreciate that whether you like it or not. You know, they're real artists, really, no matter what you think of them. I would agree on that one. I also, like, it's it's really weird. It's not just that they do world building. It's the fact that, like, I don't know the plot of Jupiter Ascending, but I know absolutely about all the stakes of the world they live in. I know what the economy looks like. Mm-hmm. I know what the poor people live like. I know what the rich people, yeah. I know where their values are. And the fact that in two and a half hours I can get that and we have entire series of television that are not able to really establish <laughs> that in like the sci-fi landscape. I also think like, look, um, of all of the Dorothy allegories that we've had in recent memory, like just taking the characters of The Wizard of Oz and changing it over. Um, I'll take this and Ted Lasso. I think they're both top tier. So uh, speaking of top tier, there's a great new podcast in the Rotten Tomatoes family that is Uh, Jacqueline's award show podcast. Yes, the awards tour. Thank you. The awards tour, because you literally go on tour in in a matter of speaking, because you go to all these different festivals and then you start covering award shows. You're at the different award shows. The reason why I bring it up is because this movie was originally slated to come out mid-July 2014. And then, like I said, very negative test screenings. They wanted to tinker with the visual effects a little more. Gets postponed to February. It actually had a secret screening at Sundance yeah. a couple weeks before its national release. Does that happen a lot at Sundance? Because 
Well, like the report I read is that people were saying there's like clumps of empty seats in this screening room for Jupiter Ascending. And it's like, oh, does nobody care about this movie? When you're at Sundance, I mean, you're kind of on a schedule already. Yeah. So you don't necessarily have time to just run around and be like, oh, well, what's this secret movie I'm going yep. to? Is that like, like what's the give me the landscape of Sundance? If you're Jupiter Ascending and you're planning at this movie, why do you do it? Or why would you expect to have a backlash because you did it? Uh, well, the first the answer to the first part of the question is why would you do it? Um, delusion, because I think they still thought they had a good movie in there. Because like, look, if you read the reviews, there's there's serious critics who really enjoyed this, but they also knew that it was probably maybe just an audience driven movie, and so they thought if they played it at Sundance and can get a little bit of buzz, maybe this could have a better thing when it finally comes out in February. Because the other thing I want to mention is this movie had an excellent trailer, but not a lot of details. Like, and every time people tried to start asking about it, they kept on getting very cagey. And so <laughs> the press around the movie, because so many people were hungry for the next thing from the people that did The Matrix, was kind of overshadowing uh, what the movie could be. And so they knew they had a rabid attention space, but they knew as soon as they got early screenings of the movie, it probably wouldn't do well, especially with the press. And so they tried to get like, hey, let's get the audience about it. And so Sundance does these secret screenings, but I'll tell you, you're right. You are on a schedule. Um, they didn't invite any press, so it was only open to the public. And sometimes you get those screenings and it's Jupiter Ascending. Sometimes you get those screenings and it's Get Out because that was the way I saw Get Out. It was a secret screening that they were like, hey, this is what we're thinking of doing. And I'm like, Universal's here, which that right there told me something. Right, These are not right. the reps for like, small movies like this is something and we definitely had a trailer for get out at that point and so i was kind of like what what's the tea kids and yeah and then you walk out and you've seen get out and it's going to be like a seminal moment and yeah that that's the end of that but you don't know what you're getting there's a ton of secret screenings sometimes it's because maybe they think uh, like, I think Navalny was a secret one where they didn't say that it was coming until the last minute because of Vladimir Putin, and they were worried about that. So there's, like, various reasons why they do a secret screening. Sometimes it's because they don't want the press to know about it. Sometimes it's because they don't want political people to know about it. And sometimes it's just, it's a bad movie, and they're trying to keep it under wraps. <laughs> Love it. That's uh, that's your Sundance Corner yeah. with, uh, <laughs> with Jacqueline Coley. Then the movie comes out in February, and the rest is sort of history. Yeah. The film... Depending on which box office slash budget report you read, it might have broken even with its international business, but it just did not do well in the States. It didn't even break $50 million here domestically. Wow. I think it did a little under $200 uh, million worldwide, where the budget was reported to be a little over $200 million. This movie opened against, it came in third, its opening weekend in the United States. SpongeBob, the movie, opened, was number one by a wide margin. Okay. And then number two was that, fantastic run that American Sniper went on from before January and it just kept making bank every weekend and Jupiter Ascending got sniped and so it was mm. third place when it came out and from there I will turn it over to Claire Lim for the last word on Jupiter Ascending before we move into our mailbag. Claire, Jupiter Ascending somebody asked you about it, what do you say? I say it's an extremely ambitious space opera that will take you on a wild ride. It's well-meaning. The Wachowskis want, want us to think. They want us to see. They want us to feel. Sadly, it falls short in terms of performance and cohesiveness. Not every sci-fi soap <laughs> opera, whatever, has to be like 10 million hours long. Uh, but if you're curious, 
I would go see this. I think it's a film that you should see. I still think that 28% is correct. I don't think it should be certified fresh, but it definitely is a film that I'm glad exists. You said enough in there to make me want to go rewatch some movies. Yeah. Because I'm like, okay, yeah, there is some stuff that I kind of want to get ringing yeah. endorsements. Yeah. She's, she's mad. Yeah, I've, I'm with it. Changing with it. minds here at Rod Tomatoes yeah. is wrong. And now let's get into the minds of our listeners with our mailbag segment. We always have ketchup on the brain here, and today's ketchup crew member is Tony Jones. Tony writes us, hi, Rotten Tomatoes is wrong. I would really like to get the team's thoughts on Black Panther Wakanda Forever at 84% certified fresh. A fantastic score, no doubt. I still think it's too low. This needs to be a 90% plus and closer to the audience score. The reason this movie is so powerful to me is because it deals with real, tangible human emotions that are often left unexplored in most superhero movies. Grief, loss, anger, the inability to properly cope with those emotions. I can go on and on. These are real-life things that anyone can easily relate to and have experienced at some point in their life. On top of that, it's another dope anti-colonialism exploration. What are your thoughts, Tony? Thank you, Tony. Thanks for writing us. You can write us anytime. RT is wrong at RottenTomatoes.com. Black Panther Wakanda Forever. I feel like 84% certified fresh is solid, is is the correct score, particularly because of the hurdle it had to overcome. I don't think the movie was as good as the first Black Panther, but you also have like this incredibly tragic hurdle where you don't have Black Panther returning because we lost Chadwick Boseman. So now how do we how do we make this movie? How do we structure mm. a narrative? And I think that they embraced the loss and they honored him. And I think a big chunk of that. 84% certified fresh is just because of how well and how classy the movie handled losing a real life superstar like Chadwick Boseman. Yeah, I think it absolutely was um, yeah, a delicate moment for both Ryan Coogler, the entire cast, like just the imagine of like trying to go back to work when like the lead and everything around it um, is changed. Look, uh, I still think that this movie was was brilliant for what it had to do. It's like the Simone Biles effect. It's like if you could do it, try like you guys have everything right. in front of you. <laughs> To make a good movie and you can't. So the fact that they were able to do this despite the crazy things they had to overcome. Yeah, I, I agree. It could probably be a lot higher. Uh, Claire, where does uh, Wakanda Forever rank on your like MCU? Like there's 40 something movies now. Right? Oh, my God. But, there's t- two yeah. billion movies, but uh, it's very high up. Absolutely. Top five. For me, I saw this film at a time where I lost a lot. You know, not mm. not people, but just I was changing. My life was transitioning. And so that hit me from the very start. I think that they handled the loss extremely well. And by the end, I was in tears. It was a press screening. <laughs> like mm. I was sitting with like maybe 10 other people going, <laughs> like kind of like <laughs> trying not to ugly cry. But that really, I've never, apart from uh, a few superhero movies, this is one where I really felt something deep because it does really speak to the human in us. And it's sort of, yeah, the superhero stuff is just on top of that. Mm. But they are humans inside. And that's what... I got from that film. So, yeah, I mean, it, it wouldn't hurt if it was 90% or closer to 90, but I think 84% is excellent. Still good score. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I also want to add one of the best jokes uh, from the Governor's Awards a couple weeks ago when John Mulaney hosted. <laughs> he said, Angela Bassett got nominated for an Academy Award for being in a Marvel movie. That's like winning a Pulitzer Prize for a Reddit comment. And that's bars. Like, that is absolutely accurate. It's a so, great bit. You know, and I loved it. Angela Bassett gave an award-worthy Worthy performance, performance yeah. in Wakanda Forever. You know, the two biggest two of the biggest cries of my entire life were press screenings. Mm, really? Coco. 
Oh, yeah. Lost it. So happy that they left the lights down for the entire credits because I was a mess. Wait a minute. Just, did we see that together? I, that was see it Skip It Days. I saw it with Molly's mom. You might have been there, too. It was at the Disney lot, yeah. and I was just a yeah. mess. The other one is Night, Night at the Museum 3 because, oh, really? uh, because at the end is Robin Williams, and he had already passed, but Robin Williams is still playing Teddy Roosevelt, and there's a scene at the end of Night at the Museum 3 where he's saying goodbye to Ben Stiller's character, like, you know, maybe we'll meet again, and the speech he gives, it's almost like he's saying goodbye to all of us, and I lost it. I was just, oh my God, like tears were shooting. It was dangerous to be sitting in front of me. I Uh cried at the last Terminator film in the press screening. I'm just going to admit that. I was like, yeah, it wasn't a great film, but I just love Terminator and Arnold Schwarzenegger so much. I was like, oh my God, he's gone. He's really gone. Like, it's quite sad. I don't know if I saw it. My sister still cries at the end of Judgment Day when he's going down with the. Yeah, Judgment Day, though. Thumbs up. And that's what we give to all of you fans for being such great members of the Catch Up crew. Uh, Claire Lim, thank you for, for joining us in person. Welcome. I know. It's been a lot in going on in your life, a lot of transition, a lot of changes, a lot of moving around to different countries. Uh, you're settled now in the States. You're having a good time. What what what, what sort of stuff are you up to? Um, okay, well, um, I, I am set, I'm settling now. It's been very weird. Me and my cat are happy. Um, <laughs> me and Mac. Is it a full cat or half cat, half human? Uh, no, I'm glad to say it's a full cat. Mm. Uh, it's a full cat. Um, but yeah, I'm about to, I'm, I'm working again here and there doing conventions and other things outside of conventions. And then I'm about to start doing stand-up again. Wow. Congrats. So I haven't done it since I got here. I did like one one open mic, but I'm going to start doing that again. I've, I'm streaming uh, quite often as well. So yeah, like I'm I'm starting to kind of get out there again after the kind of like party, I'm here, let's drink a lot and go out. Now I'm like, no, I need to have it. I need to pay my rent. It's different <laughs> when you visit than yes. when you live there. Welcome Absolutely. back to the world of stand up. Happy to have you once again. Thanks. Um, make sure you guys follow Claire Lim on all of her uh, social media and all that stuff and catch, uh, catch an upcoming gig maybe in LA. Maybe it's both of us on stage together. <sighs> that would be amazing. Not at the same time because we don't do that. We're oh, comics. Okay, all right. Okay, we're cool. not improv. We're not sketch people. I can't look at you we're if comics. we're in the same room, right? Would you ever do it? improv work? Um, I did or a little in college, it? but uh, yeah, I just, I, I I like being by myself. You are so <laughs> antisocial. But you can always it's look okay. me in the eye. Ah, okay. You can always okay. look me in the eye. Jacqueline Coley, what you Pull up that. to? Uh, nothing. <laughs> not, just check me out on the Awards Tour podcast. Head on over to Rotten Tomatoes, awardstour.com. There's tons of stuff we're doing. Mostly with Brian. Brian's been, been my partner in crime on that one as well. So yeah, just be on the lookout. We're about to go to the Oscars nominee luncheon for Woo! fun times. You know, I never liked the word luncheon. I always hated it until I started watching The Gilded Age. And that's what they called lunch back then. <laughs> you it's like, the oh, is Bannister serving us luncheon today? And I'm like, yeah, yeah. I kind of want to go to lunch. You have to see it in the Eddie Ray. You need to, luncheon. You need <laughs> to get on. If you like that, you oh, really do need uh, to get on Downton Abbey. Soup. Yeah, I, I need to get in on Downton Abbey. Because, like, that's where, that's yeah. the OG. That's the inception. That would be my streaming recommendation. Uh, Claire, do you have a movie or TV rec for us? Uh, 100p. 100p. You mentioned it at the, earlier in the podcast. The Beekeeper. This is a yeah. B-positive episode of this podcast. <laughs> I love The Beekeeper so much. I can't it's, wait to see it. If you like John Wick, but you want to see John Wick as Jason Statham and he does bee stuff... There, that's my synopsis. I'm gonna, okay. I think I'm going to so make good. this a date night because that was our first movie outside of the pandemic. Because remember, the pandemic was very like, you couldn't go see movies, right? And the Wrath of Man, remember that Jason Statham yeah. movie? Guy was Ritchie, a remake right? of, yeah. It was a remake of the French one, which I'd also seen. That was our first like in-person movie together. We've seen a ton, obviously, <sighs> on a couch. but Go to the beekeeper. Yeah, I think we're going to do fun. That's a good I think one. it's streaming now, too. So you can go see in the theater yeah. still. Yes, is it still? Get your tickets to Fandango, I or you can go see it streaming. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So oh, wow. go see it. You will not be disappointed. 
Spaghetti. Yeah, get some popcorn either way. I started making popcorn at home. I put microwave popcorn in, right? But instead of butter, I put olive, I drizzle olive oil on oh. it afterwards. And it's how fancy. It's so good. Wow. It's so good. It's oh so my good. God. Olive oil. Please. Make sure that you subscribe, <laughs> rate, review, all that good stuff that you love doing for your favorite podcast. Put us in that category and do whatever your preferred platform of listening or watching encourages you to do. Next week, Jacqueline Coley, two weeks from now, I believe. It's a much anticipated episode for me because I have yet to see this film. Yeah. And I hate to tell you to put your mind at ease, but don't worry, darling. <laughs> Don't worry. Oh, That's we're going to talk talking. about the movie. We're going to talk about some of the behind the scenes with that movie. There's going to be a whole lot <laughs> in a Gate. few weeks here we at Rotten Tomatoes is Wrong. <laughs> For Jacqueline Coley, the wonderful uh, and talented guest, Claire Lim, producer Brian, the whole gang here at Rotten Tomatoes, I am Mark Ellison. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. And we will see you next time. Goodbye. <laughs> 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 <laughs>